We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Like Kobe in a fourth quarter. This is the Dane Moore NBA podcast brought to you by the Genesis Company coming at you Monday evening. It's May 29th. And if you're listening to this on Tuesday, I would assume it will be the only podcast episode in your basketball feed that won't be about game seven of Heat Celtics or a finals preview. This is a Wolves episode. Honestly, one I wasn't really expecting to do. But on Sunday morning, I saw an article at canishoopas.com titled, Why Should the Wolves Do Everything Possible to Acquire Scoot Henderson? And joining me today uh, are the co-authors of that article, Jack Borman, who's the site manager at Canis, and Tyler Metcalf, who writes for Canis as a Wolves writer, but also uh, for no, no Ceilings MBA as an MBA draft writer. Well, <laughs> this is going to be taken as a trade uh, Carl article or episode. I'm more trying to think of this as a way to preview um, where the Wolves are at in terms of their finances and the salary cap, not just for this season, but going forward and also to kind of start shifting my mind a little bit uh, towards towards the draft. I think we all know for a list of reasons that it's exceedingly unlikely that <laughs> It's always exceedingly unlikely that any trade gets done, but I think particularly it's exceedingly unlikely that Scoot Henderson winds up on the Minnesota Timberwolves and that Carl Anthony Towns is traded to Portland. But I do think the way that you guys set up the article did a good job of like lining up the factors that make this a reasonable conversation to have, or at least a reasonable May Wolves type of conversation. The, the, again, the article highlights the Wolves cap situation. I and kind of given the new CBA, how that's a little bit complicated, how basically it's just a bad time to have a really expensive uh, team. And then uh, art also the article talks about how kind of the best way to get out of a tough salary cap situation is to trade an older, more expensive player for a younger, cheaper player. And in this case, uh, Tyler and Jack highlight Scoot Henderson as an option there. We're going to dig in uh, to both the financial situation and the prospect of adding Scoot, but I told both of you guys today, let's start by giving a 60-second elevator pitch of why this makes sense to be a reasonable thought exercise for the Wolves. Tyler, I'll go to you second with Scoot, but Jack, we'll dig into the finances deeper, but can you give us the pitch for why the Wolves need to approach 
their team building, not only this offseason, but into the next year with their finances heavily on their minds? Yeah. So the reality is that um, the Timberwolves could run it back in 2023, 2024 if they wanted to feasibly be under the luxury tax, go try to go deep in the playoffs and, and have a great run, which would be a ton of fun. But but the reality is that come 2024, 2025, if they kept this team together, meaning that they kept the core four of Carl, Rudy, Ant and Jaden McDaniels, they'd likely be completely over the salary cap, if not just underneath um, that salary cap line, just with having those four players on the roster. Woo! And if you look at bringing back Nas Reed to a reasonable contract and Nikhil Alexander-Walker to a reasonable contract, uh, and then you you factor in signing a, a first-round pick in 2024, and you factor in um, having Wendell Moore Jr. and Josh Minot still on the roster, You'd be looking at needing to fill out, I believe it is six roster spots, um, and, and you would have just a really minimal amount of money underneath the apron to be able to do that. Um, and, and hypothetically, you know, if you were to to look at just those numbers, you'd only have ten million, a, a little less than eleven million dollars to fill out six roster spots, and and that would push them over, not only the the luxury tax line. Not only the first apron that everybody's been talking about, but this second apron where the damages for, for doing that become mm-hmm. pretty punitive and, and and really handicap your ability to build a team around stars beyond that. So um, it, it really just comes down to simply you, you can't have that many big contracts on the roster if you want to be able to build a, a you know, a winner. And, and the fact of the matter is, is that even if it's not that big of a gap. Carl Anthony Towns just has more trade value right now than Rudy Gobert does. And it was something we talked about when Rudy, um, that the Rudy trade first went through, was that if, if anything goes south with this, that was more on the floor. But now we have this new wrinkle off the floor with the CBA that, um, you know, that the reality is just they cannot keep those four together uh, and re-sign Nas and, and Nikhil and build a, you know, a really competent team around. It's it's really two player core right now of, of Anthony Edwards and, and Jane McDaniels. Yeah, and we'll get into that that second apron element of it, which I think we're all slowly, that's all slowly getting into our brains in terms of how, I mean, roster construction, to some extent, is, is going to change here in these next one to two to five years in terms of how teams are getting built, and particularly for teams that are trending towards being super expensive like the Wolves are. So we'll dig into that more. Tyler, this is kind of the, the other side of the coin, and I guess less Wolves-specific outside of this being a hypothetical cat for Scoot type of trade idea. But why why is Scoot Henderson, as a prospect, as a basketball player, intriguing enough to the point of whether it's the Timberwolves considering trading a player like Carl Anthony Towns or just around the league teams who might try to get in the mix for a trade at two or three why is Scoot Henderson somebody who drives the demand to even consider this? Yeah, I mean, he, he's so fascinating. And in any other draft class, I think he goes number one. But he's, unfortunately for him, you know, in Victor Wembanyama's class. And Victor's an alien that we've never really seen before. So a little unfortunate for him. But literally almost any other year, he would be in the discussion with Luca, with Cade, you know, those are the types of prospects that he projects to be as good as. And the comps that keep getting thrown around with him are, you know, Derek Rose and Russell Westbrook. And he's that type of athlete, but I think he has Chris Paul's brain. And what I kind of keep going back to is that he's basically Chris Paul and Russell Westbrook's body. 
everything you hear about this kid, his intangibles, his leadership, his work ethic is second to none. It's absolutely off the charts. Um, his on the court stuff is insane to go with that. In terms of playmaking, he's the best playmaker in this class. He plays on off ball. Uh, the defenses will get into that, but there were there were flashes of good stuff, but sure. a lot of down periods. Um, but just the type of person that he is combined with the athleticism and on court basketball IQ and versatility. It's the exact type of point guard that every team dreams about building their offense around. I love it. I mean, I, I think, you know, as, as not a draft guy, like you, my, my gut instinct always is to be like, Oh my God, we just said like five great players. We put them in a yeah, pot. We took all the, the best things, but I, I have had a chance to not, not to the degree that you have, but start watching scoot and, you know, my initial reaction to it is I, I, I do see a special player there as well. And we're going to not only, you know, pump the tires here, here too. We'll, we'll talk about the downsides. I mean, the shot, it's not a Chris Paul shot. Um, and the defense, as you guys talked about in your article, uh, kind of looks a lot more like Anthony Edwards uh, early on, which I guess is both a positive <laughs> and a negative uh, in that sort of way. But to frame this all in terms of why the Wolves would even consider it, the, the first domino we got to knock down here is why the the salary cap situation is such that you even consider this in the first place. And I was just going through, I liked how you guys use the percentage of the salary cap to, to talk about this, because when you look at the Wolves cap sheet, right, it's different, literally different than every other team, because you have Carl Anthony Towns locked up long term on the Supermax. He was able to sign it as early as possible, and that makes him not the player who has the highest dollar value tied to his name, just like was the case with Dame a handful of years ago. And you're like, wait, Dame's making $45 million a year and the other max players are making 30. Like there is some perception difference in what Carl is actually making versus where it lines up against the cap. Now that said, it's still crazy expensive. He's on the most expensive contract that you can possibly have. And if you put that next to Rudy Gobert, who is also not on that highest amount, but Cat is going to be starting 35% of the cap. And Rudy Gobert by that year is going to be 31% of the cap. And so just in my head, I looked at it, I'm like, all right, that's 66% of the salary cap. What other teams in the league are even that dedicated to that much salary? And for next season, the only two teams that are over 66% are the Golden State Warriors for their top two players and the Los Angeles Clippers for their top two players. And as we know, with this collective bargaining agreement, and even before the collective bargaining agreement, right? Like there was a pinch coming for both the Clippers and the Warriors. There was a collective bargaining agreement that went through that seems to attack teams that were built in that sort of way. And the Wolves are moving towards being a team that is as expensive as those two teams are so we also left out the name Anthony Edwards in that Jack you had you had ants 25% of the cap on top of that now you're up to 91% and if ant gets all NBA next year it's 30% for his max so you're talking about 96% of the salary cap for 24 25 dedicated to cat Rudy and ant I mean can you help the listeners understand I mean that is intuitively a problem, but how contextually uh, is that a problem in terms of 
building this thing out uh, for the Wolves? I'll start with a with an outrageous comparison here. Um, there we in go. that, so if you just want to look at how much money the Los Angeles Clippers, one of those teams that you mentioned that that has the two players right there, and and you want to look at um, you know just how much money Steve Ballmer, their owner, is willing to pay for this team this season, and, and that and it gets even worse when you when you keep going and looking forward at it. Steve Ballmer is going to pay around $175 million just in a luxury tax bill, not counting the, <laughs> the salary that he also has to pay players. So $175 million. That goes so, to the other teams. Correct. So Steve Ballmer, if you you know do that as a function of a percentage of his net worth and compare that to Mark Lurie, that is the equivalent of Mark Lurie paying about an $8 million luxury tax bill. Ooh. So th- that's just where the competitive advantage lies yeah, that's a good point. between, you know, the, the, what the Clippers have and what the Warriors have and what the Wolves have in terms of spending power. So when you when you think about it that way, the Timberwolves just don't have the same appetite um, to, to, to take on this huge luxury tax bill. But but if you want to look at, you know, what the luxury tax payment is going to be for the Timberwolves, if they go down this road of running it back, not just for 2023, but also for 2024, you factor in the max extension for Ant, the 25-ish million dollar a year deal that that Jaden McDaniels will hopefully sign this this offseason. Um, and, and then you, you you factor in just, only just, if, if the Timberwolves wanted to fill the rest of their team with you know, six minimum contracts if they wanted to do that. So six minimum contracts around, um, you know, around this core of, of Rudy, Carl, Ant, Jaden, Wendell, 2024 first, uh, and, and Josh Minot. Yeah. And you have Nas and Nikhil. You'd need to fill out six roster spots. And, and if you filled them out all with veteran minimum contracts, right? The, the so we're talking like Bryn Forbes. Sign. Austin Rivers, Rivers, those types of players, right? Which is already unlikely to begin with. Mm -hmm. The Timberwolves would be not just over the luxury tax. They'd be over the first apron and they'd also be over the second apron. They would have a luxury tax payment in the first year of Mark Laurie and Alex Rodriguez, you know, being able to to control this team of just under $41 million. Okay, That, that that is crazy to think about. So again, if you if you think about that eight million dollar luxury tax payment for Mark Lurie is the same as Balmer paying one hundred and seventy five million, right? Mm-hmm. That's five times one hundred and seventy five million. I don't even want to do the math on that. That's like whatever <laughs> it's, it's going to be like like eighty like yeah whatever it is another whatever. Um, so it's just an astronomical payment for for someone like Mark Lurie when you when you look at it that way. Um, in year one, just just to get that yeah, yeah that in, in year one right. And that 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 would only get worse if you wanted to keep the team moving forward financially. When you when you factor in the the repeater tax, um, I mean, if if again, if you wanted to do the same thing just just with the repeater tax, it, it gets even more outrageous. Um, right. It gets closer to like sixty sixty five million dollars. But um, which is again, all right that, that, a way, Jack, of saying something has to happen at some point, right? I mean, and, correct. And that's not even factoring in the the different. Uh, team building disadvantages that you get put at with um, let's, let's know, pause with, on with let's pause on that, that quick let, let, cause so. that, I feel like that is a whole thing in and of itself that we all need to start to compute in our brains but like even without any of the those punitive damages of what you can't do if you're over the second apron 
it's just an issue from a spending standpoint. And I, I mean, rich people are rich because they're smart with their money. I mean, typically like this, this would be exorbitant amounts uh, that they would, that they would need to pay. And, you know, when we can't know what any of these people's actual, you know, vision of what they're, they feel comfortable paying is or isn't. I know there's probably a lot of speculation out there given the kind of bizarre nature of how A-Rod and Lori came in. I think they're like getting the label of, you know, cash poor or cheap, but we don't really know that yet. They haven't come in. They haven't, as Jack, you know, us being around the, the, the team a lot, like they're not in charge yet. We don't know what they are willing to be able to do, but we know what the numbers are and the numbers are extremely daunting, which Tyler, I think is what cued you up in your brain to even start thinking about this. Right. And I mean, I haven't talked to you a lot about cat over, you know, the, the years, but this is the reason given that scoot is such a good prospect in your eyes that you would even consider this, this sort of move. So, you know, there's all the people out there who are saying, well, why would we, why would you trade Carl Anthony Towns for a player who could potentially be as good as Carl Anthony Towns five years down the road from now? And money aside, that makes sense. But money is a very real factor here. And if you sign Scoot Henderson to a rookie scale contract, even as the second or third overall pick, whatever, we're talking about six, seven percent of the cap compared to that 35 plus that that Carl is going to be earning. So for you, I don't even know your answer here. Like, where are you at in your head? with the idea of moving on from Carl and what is the opportunity cost or value in being able to replace that with a younger prospect in Scoot Henderson. We'll talk about the salary matching stuff there too. It's not, it wouldn't just be cat for Scoot, but um, just in kind of that vacuum, how do you think about it? Yeah. And the, the premise of this piece was not like, Oh my God, Carl sucks. Get him out of town. Like that. I, I feel like us three have been three of the more kind of, cat supporter you know side of the spectrum um despite whatever our you know gripes maybe with his game at times but i think we all recognize how good he actually is a problem with that is that outside of timberwolves fandom the 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 perception of him seems to be a lot lower so the the rudy trade when it happened kind of forced the timberwolves hand and it's either this is going to work perfectly and they're going to win 50 plus games in the regular season, or it's going to be a complete dumpster fire. And, you know, obviously injuries and lack of games and whatnot played his toll this year. But when Carl, Rudy, and Ant were on the court together, you know, for cleaning the glass, only 230 possessions, they had a negative 6.5 net rating. That's really bad. Mm-hmm. And if these are the three guys you're going to build around, I didn't really see anything, you know, healthy or not from any three of them that really suggested that it was going to work. And if I think what Anthony Edwards showed the entire league this year is that this is his team and that they need to build around him and do what's in the best interest of him and achieving his absolute maximum. And unfortunately, Carl Anthony Towns seems like he's going to be, you know, the the fall guy for this, even though it's not entirely his fault. And the reason that he is, is because he's, still has the most trade value. And I think Rudy going to be turning 31 in about a month here, exiting his prime, saw a severe downturn in his overall production this year. 
there's not going to be that value for him. So I, you can get enthralled with the whole idea of sunk costs and all of that stuff. But if you're going to make a big move to realign this team, um, both from a salary cap standpoint and from a team building standpoint around what is best for Anthony Edwards, this is the draft to do it. Next year's draft is really bad, like really, really, really bad. Gigi Jackson would probably be, be the preseason number one overall pick right now if he didn't reclassify. He's going in the mid to late 20s in most mock drafts right now. Um, so it, it's really tough. And if you need to make a move before the CBA and all these restrictions with the, the aprons that Jack laid out, before all that kicks in, this kind of seems like the best chance to do it. Let's, uh, I, I want to, I sent you guys the message about talking about the idea of the the cat versus Gobert trade value. And I think we've made it be like a, like not even close that, that Carl's value is, through the roof and Rudy's is is nothing. I want to go into that a little bit. You wrote about that in the piece a little bit. Let's grab our first break. We'll be back with uh, Tyler and Jack here in a second. Today's show is brought to you by the Genesis Company. As an entrepreneur, do you envision your innovative products on retail shelves? If that is you, then listen up. The Genesis Company is your guide to retail triumph. Their expert team has aided over 300 brands, generate more than $3 billion in retail sales, and is dedicated to transforming your dreams into reality. The Genesis Company amplifies your brand's potential by leveraging advanced marketing strategies and the latest technology. They specialize in extending direct-to-customer brands into mass retail and enhancing retail brands, DTC, or Amazon presence. But they offer more than just marketing. From retail consulting, packaging, and sales strategies to operations, financing, and supply chain management, they provide a comprehensive end-to-end solution. And here's the best part. The Genesis Company is invested in your success. They're not just a service provider, they're your partner in growth. When your brand wins, they win too. If you're ready for the next level, contact them today at grow at the Let's scale your brand together. Today's show is brought to you by Hyacinth Restaurant in St. Paul. I've been telling you all season about Hyacinth with their amazing food and warm, inviting atmosphere. And with the sun starting to come out, this is the perfect time to check out Hyacinth. Hyacinth does partner with local farms and their chefs visit the Metro Farmers Markets four times a week as these markets open back up. So you know that no matter when you are eating at Hyacinth, you are having the freshest and most vibrant food Minnesota has to offer. St. Paul does have the reputation for being the sleepier of the two Twin Cities. And just like the Wolves are trying to change the narrative around their organization, Hyacinth wants your help to change the narrative about St. Paul. Hyacinth is also offering a $10 gift card for every reservation made after 8 p.m. So to receive your gift card, make a reservation on their website at hyacinthstpaul.com and you will receive the gift card on arrival. Limit one gift card per party and you must follow through with your reservation. So no show, no gift card. And then finally, Hyacinth is happy to announce the return of their sidewalk patio beginning Tuesday, May 16th. What started as a pandemic pivot has become a tradition at the restaurant. Reservations specifically for outdoor dining can also be made at their website, which is again, hyacinthstpaul.com. That's three more reasons to try out Hyacinth in St. Paul, a restaurant that has become a favorite of mine in the Twin Cities. All right, we're back with uh, Tyler and Jack from Canis Hoopus, and we're digging into this. The idea of trading someone, I guess, is what we're doing here. And the, the site, for one reason or the other, uh, seems to be on Carl for if you needed to make a cost-cutting move. He's the most expensive player. He's the longest-tenured player. Um, somehow that leads to it being Carl would be the one that you would move on from if they were to move on from them. You guys wrote in the piece, the most logical path 
to the Timberwolves easing the financial pressure they are facing is to trade one of Towns or Gobert. Okay, agree there. Given that Cat has higher trade value, it is logical that he would be the player sent out. And I, I don't disagree with that, that he would have higher value. I just wonder if we're exaggerating the gap, right? And yes, was Rudy a wonky fit in Minnesota? Sure. He didn't necessarily have like a terrible year, right? And he's not even 12 months removed from being traded for what he was traded for. So I'm with the idea of slashing that down big time in terms of what his value would be on the open market. But I'm also thinking about it through the lens of what Carl is going to make here. And he's going to be on this year. He's on the last year of his previous max, 27%. And then he's 35%, 50000000 34%, 54000000 34%, 58000000 33%, 62000000 that money has to be a factor here when we talk about what Carl's trade value is versus Rudy's, which is still high. You know, he's got 41, 44, 47 on, on the books for him, which is 31%, 31%, 30%. Why is it, Jack, I'll, I'll go to you first. Why, why is it such a big gap in your eyes between the value of those two players? I don't think it's a it's a big gap necessarily. Um, I really think it would be you know the gap of of you know Carl maybe netting two first round picks and Rudy maybe netting one first round pick. Like I, I don't think it's an astronomical gap. And and real quick, just to circle back on what you said, like I, I think we'd both agree that Rudy was not healthy to start the season. He he did not come in a hundred percent. And he, he said he really started to feel 100% after the All-Star break. And he was really terrific after the All-Star break. And so I think that there certainly is potential for him to, you know, be closer to that player we saw two years ago this upcoming season than he was this, this past season. But, um, you know, I, I really just think that Carl has more trade value this offseason. Um, I think yeah, next offseason, I would argue that Rudy actually has more trade value than Carl does because it's just significantly easier to find a salary match that not only one matches and, and works and, and uh, you know, and, and satisfies that requirement of a trade, but, um, but two, like, it's also really hard to find good value for both sides while you're also satisfying these salary matching obligations. Then you factor in what pick compensation do you want? What pick compensation does team A have to offer team B um, that, that sort of thing. And, and, you know, just looking at it right now, I think it's much more palatable to trade Carl on this, you know, $36 million cap hit this offseason than a $50 million cap hit next offseason, just when you're looking at um, when, when you factor that type of stuff in. Um, because I'm when you that. have to add more players into the mix to match the salaries, it throws off, you know, how much value is this is one team getting versus how much value is the other team getting. So, I mean, and honestly, really probably where, bringing in a third team, from. right? Like. Yeah, that's why there's so few one-to-one yeah. trades like that with with teams, especially with stars. Um, but you know, who knows? Um, I, I, again, it, it really more is just rooted in, in in that more than anything. And I think it's maybe like a one-pick difference, if, if that, between the two. Yeah, I, I think uh, go to you here, Tyler. Like in terms of fit, right? If we go with what you said of the you know needing to build around Ant and and fitting with Ant and building a team that runs through him, you would look to Carl Anthony Towns as a better fit next to Ant, right? And I, I, I've said continuously throughout the, the season that the most concerning thing to me on the floor about the Gobert trade was the lack of 
you know, chemistry between Ant and Rudy in that sort of way. So I think it's like one of these situations where we're taking in our heads what the value is of Cat to the Wolves versus what Cat's value is on the market to the other 29 teams versus, and same thing with Rudy, right? Um, but I don't know, I'm watching these playoffs and I'm thinking, I think Rudy Gobert could, on a lot of other teams, serve a really important role in that sort of way. So, I mean, what we should say with the whole Rudy, I mean, part of the reason why we're not putting Rudy in the trade or you guys didn't put Rudy in the trade is that just doesn't, that seems like such a, you know, quitting on the uh, a huge trade you made a year ago. And we just, that doesn't seem like something we could see given, you know, the human element of this and that there's humans running the team who have pride and things associated to the trade. But just from like a basketball standpoint, Tyler, how do you see the values to the other teams of Cat versus Gobert moving forward? And I, I still think Cat is higher just because of the offensive versatility and how much he can raise the ceiling of a team's offense. I mean, we, we know how good of a shooter he is. Dane, you've been pushing for more step-back threes from him for years now. Uh, last year, we saw his driving game. You know, he was one of the most effective centers driving in the league last year. And he really developed that all-around offense. Uh, the passing, when he kind of reins it in and takes a step back, can be awesome. It can also be disastrous. We've seen that. But for regular season play and getting to the playoffs and getting higher in the playoffs... I think Cat makes a little more sense because you, you have to score a ton. Now, if we're just talking about postseason success, that's where I think Rudy makes a little more sense. But Rudy's also very quickly seeming to come out of his prime. And, you know, you guys mentioned that he, he wasn't healthy coming into last season. It took a long time for that to get back. Uh, there's a lot of talk of him playing this summer for France again. Kind of concerned about that going into next year's training camp and early season as well. Carl Anthony Towns doesn't turn 28 until November. So, you know, he's got three and a half years, almost three and a half years younger than him. He's right in the middle of his prime. I just think the overall offensive ceiling for Cat, plus the kind of baseline okay defender that we saw from him, I guess, two seasons ago now, or yeah. last season, however you want to frame it, uh, with Papev, we, we saw that he, he can be on the floor and not be a disaster. That with the insane offensive tools that he has, I think is just, I think there are a lot of coaches in front offices that would just salivate over what type of fascinating offense could we build around that, you know, just hypothetically Portland, him and Dame, and then plug in some athletic wing defenders who can hit spot up threes. That feels like a really easy kind of offensive uh, and defensive team building potential. Yeah, and, and the one other thing ahead. too that that I want to add in there too is like Carl's a really good rebounder. Yeah. Um, you know, like the, part of the reason why the Timberwolves got killed on the glass last year in the playoffs, like sure Carl can can shoulder some of that blame, but if you look at the players around him, like Jane McDaniel's is spending most of his time on the perimeter guarding, you know, guards and wings. Same with Jared Vanderbilt, and dude, and same look, with Cat, right? Like Cat yeah, was yeah, up in coverage right at the level time. to that, yeah, for sure. And it's just got to be a gang rebounding situation, and like no. And like D'Angelo Russell isn't really a guy that's going to commit to, to being a gang rebounder. And, and Jade McDaniels and, and and Ant too struggled with that last season. Like no one was really can be absolved of blame for that. Um, and the other thing too is like, and we'll get into this with with the conversation here in a minute. But also you have to think about too, like how do if the trade value for each guy was similar, like how would they fit with the pieces that were coming back in? Mm. Like, and and I think that that's an important conversation. Um, 
to be had too. And and Tyler, you nailed it too with with an elite you know guard or, or playmaker on the perimeter. You look at I, I I I surely think that teams around the league would look and say, look at what Carl did to help Anthony Edwards with the spacing that he gave him and how that allowed Anthony Edwards, especially on the ball, to grow down when it became crunch time of the regular season and in the playoffs. Um, and that certainly was a huge factor in Ant's development that, that I don't think anybody can um, can brush away or sneeze at. So um, I think that it's also important to remember, like, I don't think Carl Anthony Towns was 100% when he came yeah. back in the playoffs. <laughs> like, if you'd ask Carl and say, like, hey, man, you think that that that's the first step that, that you had last season? I think he would start laughing at you and probably say, yeah. hell no. Right. Because it wasn't. And, and that's a huge part of his game and something that, that everybody needs to consider when, when you think about like Carl the player right now. Let me so you mentioned the like the fit of pieces coming back in, right? And I think that again, for whatever team Carl or Rudy would be going to in a trade or whatever to be coming back, like that's what green lights it or red lights it for those teams, right? And I think one factor in this from a Wolves perspective, if you did move on from Carl or Rudy, again, if it was if it was this summer, but even at some point here in the not distant future, Nas Reed makes more sense to have still on the team, right? And and I think that is a pretty critical like variable it in all of this. Like if you are not going to trade one of Carl or Rudy, then it it doesn't make any sense to devote another 12 plus million or whatever a year to Nas for the reasons that Jack you laid out in the salary cap stuff. But if you do move one of them, Nas makes it, it totally changes the, you know, the layout of what Nas is not only worth on the market, but what he's worth to the Timberwolves. So for you, Jack, how does how does the whole Nas read element of all this impact your thoughts of what the wolves can or or should do uh this offseason in terms of considering um this type of trade which would be a gigantic trade i think you're on mute there bud i am i'm so sorry um yeah i think the biggest thing with Nas is um you saw how much Nas fits with Anthony Edwards. Yeah. Um, and, and that's got to be the end all be all is does this player fit with Anthony Edwards? And and I think for Nas, the question is, is undoubtedly yes. The way that he was able to space before he's much more effective as a, as a shooter. Um, and, and like Nas was the most effective bench scorer after the all-star break. They had the highest per 36 score. I think he averaged like 27 points for 36 minutes or something crazy like that. And, and having a guy like that is a legitimate weapon. And you saw the way that Nas fit with Carl when Carl came back and Carl was like, I'm on the floor with Nas Reed. Like, all right, like, let me get Nas Reed on the block and dump it in Nas. Like Carl wanted to play through Nas and, and the Timberwolves don't really have many just mismatch weapons on their roster. When you, when you look up and down and say, you know, this is a guy that can just abuse the other team if he gets a bad matchup on him. And Nas Reed is one of those guys. And that's a rare luxury to have, especially in a playoff series when, you start looking at, all right, who can we pick on? You know, you saw Bruce Brown saying like, we're, we're playing D'Angelo Russell off the floor. You, or you see, you know, um, you know, Nikola Jokic really trying to take advantage of getting a small, like Rui Hachimura on him or something like that. Um, and, and, and that's the, that's the great part about Nas. But, but the fact, the fact of the matter is like, if you're going to be paying, you know, 
$15 million to a guy, you'd hope that he'd be able to fit with one of your other stars. In, in this case, if you were to trade Carl, it'd be Rudy Gobert. And we just haven't seen that from the two of them. And it, again, like you said, Dan, it's really hard to, to commit that much money to a guy for him to only play the minutes that Rudy Gobert isn't going to be on the floor or only share the floor with Rudy Gobert for those small segments. And I think the thing that the Timberwolves need to figure out is how can they better use Rudy Gobert in the dunker spot if Nas Reed is also going to be on the floor because Nas Reed is a tremendous roller as we've seen he's grown a lot in the in the pick and pop game um, but the problem with with Nas and Rudy as a tandem is like Nas just doesn't have the same passing that Carl does like it works with Carl because Carl's a really good short roll passer and yeah. can make those big to big passes that Nas can't and so I agree like if you're gonna if you're gonna keep Nas Reed it, it makes more sense to to have Carl rather than Rudy just in that that lens but but again like you can also think about it to another way like if you sign Nas you just have Nas as, as an asset whether yeah, it's Nas like the basketball player or Nas the, mm-hmm. Nas the trade chip if you were to trade Carl um and, and you and could that's do that this offseason to... right like you could you yeah. could have Nas and with the idea that if you don't make a cat or Rudy trade before 24 25 then you have to move Nas then it's the idea can could he hold value at a 12 plus million dollar a year thing and i assume the three of us are all kind of on board barring some sort of like injury and given the fact he's still 23 years old it's hard for me to see a year from now that nas reed would be viewed as some sort of negative asset if you paid him 12 million dollars a year right yeah i I certainly think so i mean i i think that you're seeing teams around the league that just automatically or i shouldn't say teams around the league but you listen to these more national nba podcasts that you know obviously these guys are talking to executives around the league and they're there's they they know of a player like nas reed thinking that nas could get north of 15 million dollars because that's how you know good he was with without you know in carl's absence filling in for him um yeah it's really hard for me to see that because i think if 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 you've just looked at nas and his expanded role as a starter um, and just how productive he is on a on a per minute per 36 basis you know it's it's incredible like you could think of Nas playing center for like you know a, a rebuilding team and he just has a more expanded role where yeah I could see him averaging 18 and 7 or 18 Same. and 8 pretty easily and, and if you get that on a 12 million dollar per year contract you know a year from now um, that, that's that's incredible value um, so it'd be really hard for me to see that becoming a negative value, um, barring any sort of catastrophic injury. And then, like, we're just dealing with such a financial pinch that even someone as cheap as Nikhil Alexander-Walker this offseason, you know, six, seven million bucks a year, maybe something along those lines. Like, Tyler, that that's restrictive in terms of the big picture for the Wolves, too. How do you factor Nikhil into this? I guess, general view of the Wolves moving forward, but also in the, I mean, it might be as simple as like to be able to bring him back, you would need to make a cost cutting move elsewhere. Why, why do you think Nikhil Alexander Walker would be important to bring back? Or do you think that that's just a, going to be a necessary, end up being a necessary casualty of the expensive cap situation that the Wolves have? Yeah. I mean, he's, he's so tricky because up until basically the trade deadline, once he came over, his career was really disappointing. Um, and that, you know, I had like a near lottery or a first round grade on him when he came out. I was really excited about what he could be. And 
what he showed with the Timberwolves is basically an outlier when you look at the rest of his career. Uh, now, the optimistic view is, oh, he figured something out here, and that's what we're going to get going forward. Uh, the pessimistic view is that's a flash in the pan, and we're you know we we could fall victim to you know what the Knicks did with Evan Fournier, or you know what the Lakers might with Rui Hachimura, and these late season new team new environment uh, blow ups. They're really tempting. They're really exciting. But there's a really high chance that they could be entirely fake. Um, I, I still would like to bring him back. You know, I just the versatility, the passing, uh, the shooting potential, I guess we could call it, uh, but mainly the defense and seeing that on the floor with Jaden McDaniels and this, you know, what Anthony Edwards showed. I think that could be an awesome perimeter defensive unit. But when we look at the numbers, he's probably going to be the victim if someone has to fall off and not get paid because he's the newcomer. He was only here for a certain amount of time. And, you know, NBA front offices view those guys as pretty expendable and kind of easy to find on the margins. To bring Nas Reed and Nikhil Alexander-Walker back, even if it's at reasonable numbers, I mean, the number you guys put in there was 334 for Nas and 320 for, for Nikhil. That, even that, shoots you towards we're now messing with the second apron stuff for a fact. And we're going to grab another break here, but I want to talk about why we, we kind of skewed away from that at the beginning, why that is so important to stay below that second apron level, even outside of the tax payment stuff we already talked about. So quick break. We'll come back and discuss that. Today's show is brought to you by Falling Knife Brewing Company, and I wanted to let you know that this Thursday, June 1st, Britt Robson and I will be at Falling Knife Brewing uh, for Game 1 of the NBA Finals. That tips off at 7.30. We're going to be hanging out, uh, watching that game with all of you there in the tap room, out on the patio. they got the big TV truck. I think it'll be really fun for, for Game 1 of the Finals. We'll also do a live show uh, a bit in advance at 6.30. We'll talk a little bit about the Finals, but we'll also try and leave as much time as possible for live listener questions for those of you uh, who are there in person. I think it's going to be awesome outside that day. It's just a perfect day to come hang out at the brewery and then, of course, uh, watch game one of the finals. So that's Falling Knife Brewing Company in Northeast Minneapolis. It's where Britt and I have done a bunch of these live shows. They've all been a blast. It's uh, it's fun to put some uh, faces to uh, to questions and listeners and that sort of thing. So come out to Falling Knife, hang out, ask some questions and we'll watch game one of the finals together. Again, Falling Knife Brewing Company, Northeast Minneapolis. Today's episode is brought to you by 20 by 20 Solutions, a Minneapolis-based technology consulting company that works with your business to help you build and sustain success. A great front office puts together a winning team with a coach who can put together a winning strategy. When leadership does its job and it all comes together, that means success. Success in business isn't any different. Business leaders need to find the right mix of technology, strategy, and talent to make things really work. And that's never been truer for growing companies. 20 by 20's team has helped grow companies from thousands of customers to tens of millions by helping businesses across a wide range of industries, from consumer technology and healthcare to manufacturing and even human spaceflight. Reach out to Clark and Ben, who are Wolves fans and fans of this show, by emailing them at team at 20 by 20 solutions.com. That's T E A M at 20x20solutions.com. And their team will review your needs and help you put together a plan before you need to make any commitments. 20 by 20 solutions, technology, workflow, architecture, strategy. They're your sixth man on a winning team. 
All right, back again with uh, Jack and Tyler. Jack, I'll just go to you right away uh, in terms of the idea of right now, makes sense. Lock Nas Reed in for $12 million a year. Lock Nikhil in for $7 million a year or something like that. If they do that, the Wolves are almost certainly headed for the second apron and probably the repeater tax on, on down the line. Why is that so prohibitive and why should that be a consideration? And should Wolves fans not just come in with the, yeah, sign them. That's good value. I mean, we, we talked about the idea that potentially they could be traded, but if they're not and you have the luxury tax implications and the new CBA, why would those things be so prohibitive? Yeah. So I just want to preface it by saying right now, the only real restrictions that teams have from a team building standpoint beyond the financial limitations of paying the luxury tax, the repeater tax is you can't use the biannual exception, which this past season was like 4.1 million. You can't receive a player in a sign and trade if you're hard capped and, and you, you know, if you use any of the exceptions, the mid-level, the biannual, or you make a, uh, make a sign and trade deal to acquire a player. You can't go over that this, this hard cap that they have to say this single apron that they have, which is roughly six and a half million dollars over the luxury tax line. Um, and, and that hasn't really been a huge issue for any of these teams because they just elect not to use any of those exceptions or do any of those things to, to, bring that hard cap into play and that's why they can fly over it and you see the clippers having an 175 million dollar luxury tax bill but starting um starting this upcoming season for for some of the restrictions and in 24 25 for most of them there's going to be you're going to hear a lot of talk between these two aprons so the first apron is seven million dollars above the luxury tax line and the second apron is 17.5 million dollars above that luxury tax line. If you cross the first one, which the Wolves will almost certainly cross even with this Ant Jaden plus one other star uh construction that they have going right now, you're unable to sign a buyout player if that player made a a salary north of the non-taxpayer mid-level exception, so roughly 11 million dollars or so. So you think it, you know, Russell Westbrook getting bought out, that that wouldn't have been able to happen for the Clippers or, um, you know, the, the Heat weren't necessarily the, the Heat weren't a team that was that was over that this year, but they will be moving forward. So they couldn't have signed a player like Kevin Love, who's been absolutely critical to their to their playoff run here. Um, the two way salary matching exception in a trade goes from 125 percent to 110 percent, which just makes the financials of a of a deal much harder to happen. So that James Harden, Ben Simmons trade that happened, that wouldn't have been able to happen if, if either of those teams were, were over that first apron, which they both would have been. Um, and you can't take back more salary in a trade than you send out. So you would have to make sure that, you know, the, the incoming amount is less than what, than, than what you're sending out. And then if you're over the second apron, this is where it starts to get pretty ridiculous. So you can't aggregate players uh, to land a player making more money. So if you wanted to get a player making $15 million, you'd have to make sure that you're sending out at least $15 million. But the problem is you can't put two players in a trade on your side going out to get there. So the player that you'd send out would have to be at least making at least $15 million a year. So you couldn't trade Torian Prince and Kyle Anderson to acquire a player making $15 million. Um, and you cannot use cash and trades. Um, and then you aren't able to use even the taxpayer mid-level exception. So you think about, you know, guys like Joe Ingles or Dante DiVincenzo um, or, or Kyle Anderson would sign using the, the mid-level exception for the Wolves, even though that was non-taxpayer. You wouldn't be able to, to 
have that at your disposal, which is pretty critical. Um, and then you cannot trade a pick more than six drafts away. So right now you can trade a pick that is seven drafts away. Um, and this starts in 2024, 25. And the problem is that once you go over that second apron, that draft pick, you know, seven years away becomes frozen. So you can't use it at all. Um, if you go over the second apron again, once in the next three seasons, that draft pick automatically becomes the 30th pick in the draft. It moves down to the very bottom of the standing. So if you had the number one pick that year, what, the, however far away, it would automatically go down to the 30th spot. And then, so that's, that's pretty critical for teams that, that have players in their primes right now. So the, you think about the Warriors, if the Warriors wanted to try to, you know, trade a pick way out there. They couldn't do it if they're over the second apron and they keep this core together. And you think like seven years away, Steph Curry is going to be what, 44? <laughs> and they could very feasibly have a lottery pick that gets moved all the way down. And then to unfreeze that selection, you have to then be under the second apron in three of the next four seasons. So you just really have to maneuver your finances around to even unlock that pick. And then the NBA is also increasing the per dollar over the tax penalty for Peter teams. That's starting in 25, 26. And so um, right now, basically, there's these different tax brackets that you get into based on how many dollars above the luxury tax line you are. It basically goes up, you know, like, so just looking at it right now, for instance, like the tax rate, if you're, you know, less than $5 million over the tax is $2.50 for every dollar. So then that increases by 25 cents for each bracket that you're in basically every five, $5 million real over the tax. Yeah. Yeah. Which gets really expensive when you start thinking about, um, you know, when you start thinking about the warriors. So you have this incremental maximum. If you had a $5 million tax bill at a $2.50 a dollar rate, that's $12 million $500,000 tax that you're you're paying. But then if you, you know, also fall into the next bracket, you have to pay that incremental minimum or maximum for the previous bracket that you're in. Right. So if you want to get all the way down to the sixth bracket, you have to pay the incremental maximum for each of the five brackets that you're in before. And that's how you get this absurd tax bill that the Clippers have to deal with. Right. And right. the thing is, is, so not only would it be incredibly hard for first year controlling partners and Lori and A-Rod to cough up an extra $41 million in luxury tax payments. And that's before it gets crazy with the repeater tax. But then you'd also have to be asking Tim Connolly, hey, man, you're not going to be able to get a player like Kyle Anderson um, with a with a mid-level exception. Like, you're not going to be able to turn, you know, two players that you have on your bench into, you know, a player that makes more money. Um, sorry, you're not going to be able to trade picks and out way out in the future once the ones that you're not trading in the go bear trade become available sorry you're not doing that um and then and then you just think about too like the clippers couldn't have made a deal to get eric gordon so they couldn't have turned luke Kennard and and i forget the second piece that they traded in to get to get eric gordon and that trade and eric gordon was pretty critical for them down the stretch of the season and into the playoffs so it's it's really a situation where right now i guarantee you full stop guarantee you that the Timberwolves will not be over that second apron for more than one season. I, I I would bet my life that they aren't over it for one season, but being over it for two seasons is is off the table, in my opinion. And that would mean that you'd absolutely have to trade one of them at the end of the 24-25 season. Um, and, and that would be, you'd be incurring all this crazy, all these crazy penalties and pay a $41 million luxury tax bill just to get one more season of Carl and Rudy and Ant and Jane. So you'd have to be 
pretty much walking to Lori if you're Tim Connolly and saying, hey, man, I'm putting everything on the table here and saying you're going to pay an extra $41 million and I guarantee you we're going to get to the championship or we're going to get to the Western Conference Finals and, and make sure that, you know, we're going to make this this payoff for you with all these extra home playoff games. And you're saying that right now on a, basing that off of a core that has not gotten past game six of the first round. Obviously, their injuries and all that. But guess what? You look around the NBA every year, every almost every single team has injuries that they have to deal with. It's just a reality of, of life in the NBA and that there is inherently a lot of injury luck that comes with winning a title. And you just sometimes shit happens that you can't account for. And it's just really hard to, to put all your chips into the middle, even chips you know that you've already pushed in the middle with the go bear situation like literally every chip you have now in the future and your kids future and your kids kids future for one more year of of this pairing which selfishly i'd love to see because i i was really intrigued by the denver series but it's just really hard to make that big of a commitment with this small of a sample of success Mm -hmm. like if you're looking at yourself and you're like well, Dane, did you see game five of the playoffs when Anthony Edwards is going crazy and Carl was playing this awesome defense on Jokic? And it's like, so that's why you're not going to make the trade? Like, that's just, it's, yeah. there's so many moving variables that make it so hard to justify keeping this core together, even though, you know, I, I personally love what Carl has brought to this team. I think if you go back and you look at everything I've read, I've gotten killed for how pro Carl I've been. Um and but you're just looking at it from with, a, you're looking at this n- game theory. It has, n- yeah. it has nothing to do with Carl Anthony Towns, the basketball player. It is just the reality that these new CBA implications have brought in. And the other thing that we need to point out, like there is no way that Tim Connolly could have known that th- that these punitive of financial ramifications were coming with this new CBA when he made that deal. And I think if you ask Tim, you know, you know, you know, it's just the two of you, you're going out to a bar, or whatever you ask him, like, Hey man, would you, would you have made that trade? If you know, knew that this was coming given his track record and how smart of an executive he's been, I don't think there's any way that he would have confidently made this trade and give up you know, five first or whatever it was. And to, Jack, to do the that. same goes for the Phoenix trade with Durant. For sure. Yeah. Totally. You yeah. know, or, 100%. you know, we, we could go down the line and a lot of like those other things you listed off that, you know, teams couldn't be able to do. You'd be like, oh, they couldn't have made the Kyrie trade. Well, was that a good idea? But like, it's everything. It's, you can't really do anything. And I, I think we're going to get to the point where the only teams, the only level of team that is going to sign up for this sec- second apron and the restrictions that come with it, it is like literally going to need to be a team close to the quality of the KD Warriors. Like that, that's just kind of the way I look at it. I got, I, I think we are slightly overrating the idea that the hardness of this cap, like I, I think a team, whether it's desperation or otherwise, just given the history of how we've seen teams built, like somebody's going to mess around and fuck around with the second apron. Like, I think that's I think for one happen. year, but doing yes. it two years in a row, yeah. I I, I think if they say one year, like, fuck it, let's go for it. Mm-hmm. I, I certainly think there's a team that is going to do that. If it's like a proven core, right. but multiple years, ugh, I don't know. Yeah. Um, okay. So this is all <laughs> we've done 45 minutes of uh, why this is as restrictive as it is, which is well, how you guys shaped up the article is why I loved it in the first place. It, it provided a rational perspective on needing to move off of a great player 
in Carl Anthony Towns, or we could have looked at this as, as Rudy Gobert too. Like you, you set that all up and then framed it through the lens of maybe there is an opportunity here, Tyler, that Portland is in a situation where they go, all right, like this makes sense for us to move off of the young player, given where we're at, given our salary cap situation, given up Scoot Henderson in a trade for Carl Anthony Towns on the other side. And you guys, you know, put together two different frameworks on there. But the basic idea of the trade you suggested was Anthony Simons and Nasir Little as the cap value to match Carl's salary and Portland's number three overall pick in, in this draft. Why? I'm going to start you with this, Tyler. Why would Portland do that trade? Um, I'm not entirely sure that they would. Um, I, I think Nurkic would, you know, probably be what they would push for more. But, you know, I, I Cat is still a two-time All-NBA center. I mean, he's arguably the most, you know, Jokic and maybe Embiid excluded, the most versatile offensive center in the league. Um, pairing him and Dame is really fun. And if Dame really is like, hey, I still want to be here, and but we need to start winning and showing signs of that, Anthony Simons is still a good player that can fetch a lot of return. And I think bringing in Carl Anthony Towns gives them production at the center position that they've never really had in Damian Lillard's career, or at least oh, just yeah, prime. Yeah. Um, you know, early Dame and LaMarcus Aldridge was a sure. solid pairing. And now an older Dame and a Carl Anthony Towns in this prime, if they could regenerate some of that, and I think Carl Anthony Towns has a lot more offensive upside than LaMarcus Aldridge had, that's a really fun offense. Then you include, you know, another year of Shaden Sharp, if they bring Jeremy Graham back. There's a lot to build on there, and Dame's coming off of one of his best careers ever. If you can pair him with another offensive weapon who can take a lot of offensive responsibility away from him, prolong his season, keep him a little healthier, take some of that usage away from him while also giving him a really unique pick and pop pick and roll partner there's a lot to really get excited about and you know with a couple of years ago when jeremy grant was a free agent or on the trading block timberwolves nation was fantasizing about pairing him with carl anthony towns don't see why that would be any less intriguing now in portland so just anthony science is a good player carl anthony towns is still a really really good you know, fringe all NBA center. There's a big gap in, in quality there. So bringing that in for Anthony Simons, Nasir Little, who's fine. Um, and an un, uh, you know, technically an unknown and Scoot Henderson, that really bumps them up from where they were in the standings this year to, you know, at minimum, I think play in tournament. So, Jack, Jack, I'll go to you from the, for the Wolves side of it, but I think like in whatever Twitter and Reddit and the Canis comment section and when people are talking about this and, and setting a trade up, I, I think the Simons part of it is really of this specific hypothetical framework for a trade is really getting brushed over. I mean, he turns 24 years old in June, 43%, 41%, 38% from three each of the last three years, high volume from three. He's actually a really good mid-range player shooter as well good numbers from there and he got his percentage up at the rim this year as well i was looking at it this morning better numbers at the rim from mid-range and from three than ant last season and not like he's a i mean he's not the passer that ant was but 
It's not like he was doing that on on low volume at all. The issue with Simons, which I, you'll probably get to, Jack, is he's one of the worst defensive players in the league or has been thus far um, in his career. I would assume, given how much you were banging the table for how preventative all this salary cap stuff is, that you would think that this is a no-brainer trade for the Timberwolves, correct? Yeah, I, I think, too, it also satisfies some of the needs that the Timberwolves have, too. I think you look at the fact that the Timberwolves still haven't been able to replace the high-volume three-point shooting that Malik Beasley left behind when he yeah. uh, when he was dealt to the Jazz. Um, but you also have to think about, too, like the Timberwolves just don't have that many players outside of outside of Mike Conley that, that are really comfortable playing with somebody like Rudy Gobert. And, and yeah. you look at the Portland offense, the the vast majority of their offense is high pick and roll. And, and that's where Anthony Simons has really done a lot of damage so far in his career. I mean, if you just look at synergy, 50% of his offensive of his offensive possessions have been him receiving, you know, where he's the, the usage player have mm-hmm. been receiving a high ball screen. And, and he was 13th in the NBA. I mean, with a minimum of, you know, eight a game, which is where a lot of the the pretty high usage on ball guys are for, for pick and rolls in the NBA. He was 13th in points per possession when you include passes in that. So either scoring or, or playmaking for others, that's really impressive. And if you just look at scoring, he was 11th in between Kyrie Irving and, and SGA widely regarded as two of the, most talented on-ball offensive guys in the league. He, he's just really efficient with what he does, and his playmaking has really grown. He's at a two-to-one assist-to-turnover ratio, which for a guy who is really widely regarded as as an on-ball scorer, or a guy who can spot up and, and create off of the catch too, like that's that's pretty good. Um, and again, you talked about it, Dane. Like the three-point shooting, Damian Lillard missed eleven games this year that that Anthony Simons played in. Anthony Simons averaged twenty-eight five and three on on forty-six percent shooting from the field and forty-one percent from deep on eleven threes per game. And though, obviously, a, a small sample size with the, with eleven with eleven games, but his game is scalable. So if there is a game that that Ant misses, you know, you feel much more comfortable. I know you talk about this all the time, Dane. Dane is as an ant facsimile is a guy that can still be that high usage on ball guy that can take a lot of on ball screens from Rudy Gobert, but is probably going to be a better passer for someone like Gobert because he just has a lot more on ball reps with a rolling big and Nurkic and feels good, um, you know, passing over the top to, to someone even like Jeremy Grant or, or Shaden Sharp. Um, and just, just seems like he'd be a better, uh, more synergistic partner in the pick and roll for someone like Rudy Gobert that, that you can either start or bring off the bench. And he's a really talented player. Like you said, I think the biggest thing just comes into play is like, how can you insulate him either with Anthony Edwards and Jaden McDaniels or, or Nikhil Alexander Walker and, and Kyle Anderson? Um, it's just going to be, you have to find a way to make sure that that you can play a style of defense where he doesn't get singled out. Um so and, and we haven't really seen him in the playoffs much. So, True. you know, it's hard to hard to know exactly how that that piece of his game would would translate to, where to he falls basketball. on the Jordan Poole scale. Right. In terms of <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, is Mike Malone going to structure a press conference around singling you out for 20 minutes and see what happens. And, and to be fair, maybe with Simons, like yeah. he might be he has been that level of defender thus far. I don't know. I mean, he made it kind of just looking at I mean, I need to need to watch more to know what I actually think about him defensively but his numbers defensively jumped up a bit this season as I think he just got bigger but you guys if if I'm being honest like this is a no to me this is a no-brainer move and we haven't even talked about scoot and what that that's the main driver of that sort of deal so 
as I think about in my head a potential Wolves Blazers trade that is set on the foundation of Scoot going out from Portland and Cat going out from Minnesota. I mean, I don't know why, why Portland doesn't push extremely hard to make Nurkic the filler salary in that versus Simons. I I just I I don't. I think you, that I think we're doing the thing where we set up a trade that makes a lot more sense for our team than it does, you know, for the other team. And so like normally what we would do, right, is like, okay, well, how many X amount of first round picks then do the Wolves add to balance that out if Simons is in it? Well, that's not an option here, right? In, in this situation in terms of what they, I mean, you could throw a Wendell Moore Jr. in there or something like that, but it is very limited in terms of what else you could you could put in it. And then I think on the flip side, if the difference of the salary filler is Simons versus Nurkic, it goes from a no-brainer for the Wolves, in my opinion, to uh, why the hell would you do that if you're the Wolves? Obviously, like, Nurkic and Gobert wouldn't work at all. And, and I'm not thinking about it like that. You would need to then trade Nurkic again, right? So it's just a... And that's exactly, that's exactly the problem that I was explaining earlier and the difference between having Carl Anthony Towns at a $36 million cap hit and Carl Anthony Towns at a $50 million cap hit. Yep. Because then you start to figure out, though, well, you need to add another player in and it makes it from a sure to a hell no type of situation. Mm-hmm. Um, well, we haven't even talked about Scoot Henderson <laughs> like at all yet. So one more break. We'll come back and talk about why Scoot would really be the driving force of this. And maybe we can make the case for even if it was as low as... Nurkic, Little, at number three. If Scoot is Scoot, you know, then maybe that is uh, a a trade that makes some sense. We'll take one more break. We're going a little bit long here, but multi-person podcast. We got everybody's got to talk. Um, So we're back here in a minute uh, with Tyler and Jack. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. All right, back again with uh, Tyler Metcalf and Jack Borman from Candace Hoopus. Tyler, I'll go right to you here uh, to give us the case for if you are the Timberwolves and you are selling them that they need to 
they have an opportunity to get Scoot Henderson, but Portland says, nope, it's got to be Yusuf Nurkic in the trade coming back with him. No Simons. How do you make the sales pitch to do that? It would need to be super loaded on a heavy, heavy belief in Scoot Henderson, given what you said at the beginning of the episode. I think you can make that type of sales pitch. Why, why is Scoot that attractive to you? Uh, yes, I'm, like I said at the start, he's Chris Paul and Russell Westbrook's body. Uh, he is easily the best playmaker in this class. He just has that ability to read and react and manipulate the defense and take the best option on almost every single possession. Um, and for a teenager to do that in a pro league for two years now is incredibly impressive. Um, that the, the whole premise of this piece that Jack and I wrote was how could the Timberwolves get Scoot Henderson, not how can they get rid of Carl Anthony Towns, right. and, you know, just to be clear. And Scoot Henderson just makes everyone that's on the floor with him a better player. He makes life for everyone else infinitely easier. You want to maximize Anthony Edwards's potential and achieve his ceiling, bring in Scoot Henderson to run point, run the offense. He can play on ball. He can play off ball. Um, I wrote a super detailed piece about how he just does a little bit of everything at an absolutely elite level for no ceilings NBA.com. Um, and he's just so low maintenance, an absolute leader, incredible work, work ethic, and just improves in the big areas and on the margins year over year over year. And he has this pro mentality of everything has to be perfect. He has incredibly high expectations and standards and he holds himself and his teammates accountable but then leads by example by reaching those as a player and then if someone on the floor has a hot hand he's going to feed them over and over and over again and manipulate the defense to get them the best shot possible if no one else is on on the team is scoring he's going to pressure the rim get his own shot pull up in the mid-range uh knock down threes i know the shot we'll, we'll get to it it's a work in progress but his ability to kind of get the best option on offense on almost every single possession is so incredibly rare, especially for a kid his age. Yeah. I mean, he, I, I had the chance to to dig into him for the first time and it, it stands out and it, it, I get the, you know, I'd seen and heard the line, you know, he'd be the number one overall pick, you know, in a, in another draft. And it's, it is one of those situations where you got to watch it, right? The numbers again in the G league, aren't going to pop to, you know, the way that you would think a number one overall prospect would. Um, but I, I, I found myself thinking about it a lot through the, the player comparison of like, what does this guy look like on the floor? And I think what I'm not going to go as far as the, the Chris Paul brain part as you are, but he is a, he is a high-level playmaker. That maybe pops the most when, when you watch the film. And I'm thinking about it functionally in the modern NBA, a player from like the last five years. And I, I don't think the John Morant comparison is getting enough run there. And I think it's because Scoot is like big and strong, and more like an ant build, right? And yeah. and Jaw is that skinny frame, you know, point guard, but freak athlete in, in that sort of way. Like he looks like Derrick Rose, or or Russell Westbrook in terms of frame, but I think in this league with the floor much more spread, which is so different than even for Russ. You know, like even Russ when he was peak himself, you know, he's playing with the like Serge Ibaka and Stephen Adams, neither of which are you know spaced into the floor. I I just visioned it from like the Memphis setup with him to get downhill, 
crazy. I mean, there's a couple like just crazy barreling to the rim over people plays that the player that looks the most like to me is is John Morant. And I think the John Morant one sticks to some extent because John isn't a great shooter, but he is a shooter enough, right? It's not Russ. It's not D Rose back in the day where they weren't shooting him. Like, Jaw will shoot them enough that if it is left open, he's he's gonna take it. And I think that's where Scoot gets to. Maybe he's not there yet in, in terms of his shot, but but I see from again, watch far less than you have, but that's more of the range in terms of the quality of shooter, which would be his is his biggest limitation right now entering the draft. I don't think it'll be a pre- prohibitive limitation uh in in that sort of way. Jack, I'll go to you here too because I know you've had the chance to to check him out uh, as well, and I kind of want to like do this through the lens of the Wolves, right? And you guys put in the piece that this reshapes the timeline around Ant's timeline, and also provides a point guard, which the current timelines in Minnesota do not have. So, to you, from a Wolves perspective, Jack, why would Scoot fit into this so well? Yeah, I think that. Part of it, too, has to do with the fact that you'd be able to keep Mike Conley in a situation like this, and, and you'd be able to have Scoot Henderson learn from learn from Mike Conley. Maybe it's just for a year. Maybe Conley decides to come back. But but that part of it is an important thing, too. Like, I can't think of a better person or a better, yeah. you know, point guard uh, archetype for, for someone like Scoot to be able to learn from, especially when, when you're going to play with uh, players like Anthony Edwards and Jaden McDaniels, who are so... Uh, you know, instinctive and talented as cutters off the ball when they choose to be. Um, and, and then you have somebody that's just going to create so much space for you to be able to see the floor in an unimpeded way with Rudy Gobert. And you saw, you look at Anthony Edwards and sure, Anthony Edwards, you know, his passing with Rudy Gobert isn't quite what it wanted to be, but you go look at how many possessions Rudy Gobert created a runway for Anthony Edwards mm-hmm. to get going. That was a huge factor in Anthony Edwards taking a scoring leap that he did. And to give someone like Scoot that sees the floor as well as he does and um, and can kind of pass people open, if you will, um, you know, having that extra space is so important. And you saw you saw defenses try to blitz Scoot to make it tough for him and the way that he was able to use his athleticism to to obliterate that and get behind the, the first line of defense and make reads beyond that was really impressive. Um, you think again, they'll, they'll you probably s- under him all the time when he gets into the league? Yeah, I think so. Just because there's better athletes going side to side, um, where where you don't have to kind of use the scheme, I guess, to yeah. um, to take away what he can do as much. Um, and again, they're going to force him to shoot the ball um, a, a ton. And, and the thing, the thing too is, is um, when when you think about the timelines of of this team, um, you know, I know fans are going to be really irritated by the whole, when are we going to stop rebuilding? Mm-hmm. You know. And and the thing with someone like Scoot is that once your team bringing, gets good enough to believe in <laughs> that, that, hey, I think that was also a huge reason why Timberwolves fans were so irritated this last season because it wasn't going well. You don't have the future to look forward yeah, to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, the thing with Scoot is you you think about how good the Timberwolves were this season, right? Even without Carl Anthony Towns, they were they were a 500 team without Carl Anthony Towns. They survived enough to be able to make the playoffs. Um, and the thing is, is with having someone like Scoot and then also having someone like Simons who can, you know, fill a lot of that second scoring option void that Carl would leave behind is, 
you know, it gives you just this crazy athlete that you can watch develop into, you know, a more, I don't want to say competent NBA player, but somebody that that's a more smarter or a smart, a little more smarter. Great job, Jack. Um, that's a smarter player in terms of understands how the NBA game yeah. works and understands the half court element of it. Because, you know, while, while flying up and down in transition, using your athleticism is awesome. You do have to understand how you can leverage that in a half court setting. Um, and, and like I said, being able to, that's where being able to learn from Mike Conley is really important. And, and I think he'd fit in just because with his athleticism and the, and the attention that Anthony Edwards attracts, the way that he's able to play off the catch and attack the rim and drop it off for Rudy or, or play to that second side, um, is something that he'll have as a rookie right away. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe you can learn a, a pump fake from Kyle Anderson, um, that that's just as impactful despite being, you know, somewhat similar shooter in terms of their gravity. But, um, there's things that he brings that he'll be able to do right away. And, um, and, and again, still think that the Timberwolves would, would certainly make the playoffs, even if, um, you know, you don't have Carl Anthony towns because Scoot Henderson has that much talent right, right away from, from day one. Tyler, you probably watched the most of his shot of the three of us, Mm -hmm. uh, Give the listeners who haven't watched them watched him what that shot is, and you seem a little bit more optimistic in it than uh, than a lot of people are. What 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 does the shot look like, and why can it turn into something? Um. So I'm the the biggest. I guess uh, the the most optimism I have was he took about a ten percent jump in his three point percentage this year. Uh, last year, when he was seventeen year olds playing in the G League against grown men and you know professionals, um, he shot like twenty one, twenty two ish percent, which is really bad. But then you also have to remember he's a seventeen year old going straight from the high school line to the pro line against NBA esque competition. That's a huge, huge, huge jump. And this year, and he had a huge we, usage, right? So he's yeah. shooting a ton of threes in that time too, which drove down that three point percentage. Yeah, exactly. And then this year, when he was the alpha and omega for this Ignite team, to see that percentage jump by 10% to 32% is incredibly encouraging. And it's not just damn still catch and shoot right. jumpers, wide open jumpers that he's taking. He's taking, you know, pick and roll, pull ups, step backs, uh, movement stuff. It's really hard stuff. It's not just your run of the mill basic, hey, we're going to put Scoot in the very best position to try and juice his numbers and make it look a lot better than it really is. It was, we're going to go out there and you're going to play like an actual basketball player and play like the superstar that you're supposed to be and take a lot of really tough shots. Um, His touch on the runner uh, or on his floaters is really, really good. He shot almost 50% on his floaters. His touch around the rim is really encouraging. Um, I would ignore the free throw numbers just because the G League um, free throw stuff. You only get one shot. It can get really skewed mm. with that. So it's can be a little misleading. Um, but just the fact that it improved his versatility and difficulty of shot attempts is really encouraging. I don't think he's ever going to be a Steph Curry, Dane Lillard pull-up shooter. He's never, I would be surprised if he's a over or near 40% career three-point shooter, but as long as he's in that 35 to 38% range, that Dude, and even Jaw's lower than that, right? Like I don't have that. And I, I think he'll be better, a better shooter than Jaw for what it's worth. It it it's it's a very like from the sternum in front of his body type of stroke, which that that's going to be problematic. And and I think that will will need to change uh, at at some point the re- the release point just to be able to when somebody isn't going under you to run a pick and roll and be able to pull it up. I mean, guys are going to go under and be able to block it. Like if he comes in, he's shooting like that. 
and just also because he's he's not that tall. Uh, it, it's also in ways, though. Now, Ant had a different stroke, at a much higher release point, but similarly in college, super high usage and thus a not great three point percentage. How do you compare? Like, is there more similarities there, or is it just you just kind of gra- gravitate to the? They were, as you said, the alpha and omega of their teams, and thus driven to shoot as as many shots as they could. Yeah, and, and that. How did you grade that, Ant? How did you grade Ant as a shooter? coming out before you'd seen anything, right? I'm I'm sure you didn't project him to be this shooter that he was. Right. And how does that compare to what, where you have Scoot right now? Very similar. Um, My biggest issue with Ant coming out was the shot selection. Um, But as we've seen, that's, that can be a real tool because it's a young guy experimenting with really difficult stuff that can, you know, if things go right and develop as they, as we hope they can, can turn into a tough shot maker. Um, so my, my bigger issue with Ant was the the shot selection because when we saw him, you know, get in rhythm, you know, step into a three, take a good shot, not force some or settle for some step back that's contested, it looked good. And I get a lot of kind of the similar vibes with Scoot. There there are some mechanical things like you mentioned that need to get cleaned up, but he just needs deep defenders to think about closing out on him. And yeah. if they take that half step towards him, then he's gone. He's past them. Uh, and then he has the strength and the size, um, or frame, I should say, not the size, to shield them off. And then the playmaking and at rim scoring to really dissect them however is needed. Um, he shot almost 40% off the catch this year. Um, from three, you know, volume was low, but those are the kind of things where it's encouraging because if defenders just have, if defenders have to respect that closeout, you know, you, you envision and Gobert pick and roll and drives kicks out to scoot in the corner. Defenders are going to have to close out on it, and that's all they really have to do. Um, and if they don't, he will be able to punish them. I think more often than not, and that ability to play off ball while also being a dominant on ball usage machine, if needed, is so fascinating. Given what we saw from Ant as that on ball creator this year, Jack. To the making it work with the Wolves, making with work with Ant specifically, I mean, there's a array of grades I think people put on Anthony Edwards in terms of a defender right now, right? Like, it's kind of like the less you watched him, the better of a defender you think Ant is. Not that he's a bad defender, but it. I think for those of us who are watching every game night in and night out, you see more of of the ant flaws defensively and you also see with you know a growing basketball iq how he could actually turn into a real uh two-way type of player the other parallel between scoot and ant is the defense at the college or g league level um ants was not good i remember watching all that back in 2020 coming out and being like this is going to be problematic and last night just like ripping through like 100 synergy clips the scoot defense looks absolutely terrible uh, in, in the G League as well, but in the same kind of vein where you're like, all right, this is this doesn't look to be a physical problem. It looks to be an understanding problem, an angles problem. And though, like you can't just bank on that to come through, and particularly in this hypothetical scoot and Simons type of trade, if Ant doesn't in his career, which maybe he just doesn't because he his offensive usage grows and grows. Maybe he never is a really good defensive player. And Simons is almost certainly never going to be even an average defensive player. And if Scoot can't be a solid defensive player either, or is just more like mediocre, that 
that is if we're trying to make a case against it. I think that that's what stands out to me when I look at that trade that I called the no-brainer. But that the concern would come to me uh, on the defensive side of the floor. It seemed like you echoed some of that, Jack, and that you pointed out that in the article that watching Scoot's tape in the G League looked a lot like uh, what Ants did at Georgia. Yeah, I think that the biggest thing that we see with Ant, I mean, it, well, it was certainly true in the in the Ant's rookie season, especially where the off the ball stuff was just it, it took a while. Zero. And again, yeah. and again, I, I think that that's a, certainly an understandable adjustment, just because sure. NBA players move at such a different speed and have such a different understanding of of space and when to cut and you know when you're playing with you know a point guard like if you're Mikhail Bridges and you've played with Chris Paul for a couple of years like that that connection is just there right and and if you're not locked in paying attention you're going to get beat and like that just happens all over the place in the NBA and i think for someone who has as good of offensive awareness as Scoot Henderson does you just be able to hope that you know the more that you watch tape and the more that you understand the way that these players move off of one another and and be able to recognize certain actions off of film that you can prepare yourself um, in the mental aspect of the game where where you'd be able to at least make up some ground there. And I certainly think Anthony Edwards, as he's developed more habits around watching film, working closely with video associates and and understanding the tendencies of these teams, he, he's said it himself that that part of his preparation has really helped him on the defensive end. But the most important thing about Anthony Edwards and his development is like, he just wants it. Yeah. You know, like Anthony Edwards, when, when he's, when, when the moment calls for him to step up defensively, he's not scared of anything or anyone. And and the biggest thing about Ant is you want guy, he wants guys around him that aren't scared of anybody, that aren't going to back down, that are going to rise up to any moment and play with no fear all the time. And Nas Reed is like the perfect example of the guy that plays that way and why Anthony Edwards loves him so much. You know, we've seen moments where Nas like couldn't even lift his head in the locker room because he <laughs> tweaked his neck. And we're like, hey, Nas, how you doing? He's like, I'm fine. I'll be out there tomorrow. And sure enough, yep. 24 hours later, he was out there and he played and he dropped. I remember he dropped like 24 and 11 or something like that. And Scoot is the exact same way. Like you look at Scoot in the, the G League Ignite game versus Victor Weminyama. He wasn't scared at all of Victor Weminyama. He took it right at Weminyama. He made a reverse layup underneath Weminyama, and he led his team to to a victory in that first game because he got hurt in that second game. And, and you know, you just want to look back at it. I mean, Henderson finished eleven of twenty-one shooting, and I think he had what twenty-eight points in, in that in that victory. Tyler, I mean. When you when you think about these guys and, and the edge that they have and the competitiveness that they have, um, and, and just this undying spirit that that I need to win every time I step on the floor that Anthony Edwards and someone like Jaden McDaniels has, Nas Reed has, you add another guy in that like Scoot that just has all the intangibles that Tyler mentioned. I know that that fans are going to be upset that you know this sets back the timeline or is a constant rebuilding, but. When you're in an environment like that, that has so many players that just really want to make each other better and this iron sharpens iron, you know, we got some shit to us. We're going to, right. you know, we're really going to get after it. You know, I, I think that that too can accelerate some of the the development just in the, you go up against Anthony Edwards in practice every day. You learn from someone like Mike Conley, you get to play with an experienced veteran role man and, and Rudy Gobert that hopefully... You know, you, and you also work with a development staff that now has Anthony Edwards, Jaden McDaniels, Nas Reed on their resume of we've really helped these guys 
you know, be better than any of us thought that we, they would be at year four, year five. Um, that's, that's a really enticing environment to be able to bring a player in on and also be in a rookie scale contract for, for what is it, four or five years? Mm-hmm. Um, well, and then the time Scoot would become a, a max player, potentially, that's when Rudy Gobert comes off the book. So you could either resign Rudy and, and have Rudy play out as this, you know, hopefully guy that scales well with, with age, um, his game. Um, you know, ages pretty gracefully, but uh, that's just another element of this that I, I think makes the timelines, um, or the timeline argument compelling just because they're wired so similarly and they're such a fit um, in, in terms of the intangible aspect where you hope that that defensive, um, I guess, gap yeah. would, would kind yeah. of be closed a little bit. It's it's age, right? Like it, that's what the timelines are. And that's one of those fluffy things that we, you know, different people put different sorts of value on. I, I'm, I'm with that. I've kind of sensed a timeline thing here coming with Ant and Jaden going back years since they, since they drafted him and where it's going to go. And, and this, as you guys put in the piece presents an opportunity to kind of not completely let go of one timeline, but kind of realign to a timeline that is more focused on on Ant and Jaden's uh, their their age and, there. And I w- and I want to add too that I, I don't want the timeline to get stuck on this age component because mm-hmm. for me it doesn't have anything to do with age. Okay. For me, it is strictly financially driven. Yeah. It just so happens that this young getting getting uh, potentially uh, you know really impactful from day one player in the draft in Scoot Henderson would just so happen to also really help the financial aspect True. of it. Um, for, for me, it's, it, again, it, it all comes back to this idea of, it is just so hard to keep this, this core together. Right. Uh, Tyler, I have one kind of random out of nowhere question to you. If this all makes this much sense for Scoot, is it a bad idea if it's Brandon Miller there at three, if Scoot goes at two and this isn't even a possibility, but a Portland trade around three for cat is there and. Brandon Miller is the one on the board at three. Like how much does that shift your view of, of this being a worthwhile track forward? Um, I, I still like it. I I don't love it. Okay. I mean, I, I still think Scoot is a tier above Brandon Miller. Uh, for me, he's the clear number two player. Uh, Brandon Miller is pretty clearly the third best player in this class for me. Um, I do think Brandon Miller would be a little more in, intriguing to Portland than Scoot, obviously yeah. just because of the positional stuff. Um, but Brandon Miller had an absolutely insane year for Alabama and his outside shooting. Uh, you pair that with Anthony Edwards driving kick game, uh, Mike Conley's playmaking and ability to kind of run an offense. It's really exciting, but I don't think he necessarily has that superstar franchise altering kind of potential that Scoot Henderson does. So I, you know, that's where I would be kind of pushing for more to come back in that trade if I'm Minnesota. Um, now, what's really awesome about Brandon Miller on-court stuff, um, and he's a really willing and excited here. He's really excited to pass. He loves setting his guys up. He's a ball mover. He's not a ball stopper. He's not this black hole of an offense. Uh, great rebounder, good defender. When the shot's not falling, you can just look at his box score and see that he's affecting the game in a bunch of different areas as well. The thing that he didn't get to show at all at Alabama, because their entire offense is is either layups or threes, his entire high school career, he was this DeMar DeRozan mid-range 
killer. So he still has that whole aspect to his game as well. So there are real reasons why the Jason Tatum comp gets thrown out for him because there is that type of scoring potential in his game. And, you know, Miller was a much better three-point shooter than Tatum was coming out of college. So I don't hate it by any means. Um, I think the fit is still a little more clunky. I'm not sure there's still that absolute, you know, superstar upside that I see with Scoot, but there's definitely all-star and, you know, fringe all NBA upside with Miller. So by no means would it be like, a, oh my God, we got Brandon Miller. This sucks. Yeah, right, right. Um, I, I think like to, to wrap it up, I think if we're actually talking about the reality of a, a Carl trade, right. Or any sort of big trade of one of the main pieces for a younger player, just around the league, when a big trade happens, it is so about ownership and it is so about, a willingness they have to spend, uh, appetite they have for cutting costs, some sort of external motivation is what drives this stuff, is what I've learned over the years. And I was sitting there this morning thinking about this from like, I'm like, what would A-Rod and Lori think of this? This trade, this move, and what it would build going forward. And I think if we factor in the looming, but I think massive factor of the fact that this team needs a new stadium here in the not too distant future and that they they are going to need publicly funded money from Minnesota or from Minneapolis to build this stadium then they need to have intrigue around the team and i think that was in part motivation behind going and making the gobert trade in the first place in the idea that all right it's going to be 3 4 years of this team going being in the playoffs, maybe going deep in the playoffs one or two of those years. And by the time we start putting together a pitch in 2025 or 2026 for a new stadium that we have garnered support from the community because they believe in this team more. What has obviously happened just from a Q score of Rudy Gobert and the trade and all those things is it that that part hasn't happened. The The intrigue of the fan base isn't isn't there to the degree and it could be a year from now who knows maybe the wolves go to the western conference finals next year before everything gets really expensive and you can frame it in that sort of way but as we sit here today and i think about it and if it was a primary motivation for me as alex rodriguez i would be thinking about how in 2025 or 2026 that i have a product that the state of minnesota will want to get behind out of their own pocket in terms of taxpayer money to do that, to do this. And not that Scoot Henderson is by any means a guarantee to be able to be Anthony Edwards 2.0, but the idea that he could be as attractive and young and up and coming as Ant and partnered with Ant, I feel like we're now talking about one of those motivations of something that an ownership group would aim at or push for. In, in a type of trade, even if it carried some baggage at the beginning of, you know, losing your franchise temple. I think about it in that sort of way. And I think about it, ironically, with Alex Rodriguez in Seattle back in the late 90s. And when they put forth a, the state of Washington put forth a bill to have a new stadium for the Seattle Mariners that got shut down. And then A-Rod and Ken Griffey Jr. and Randy Johnson, this young and up and coming team was all of a sudden really good. They put a bill up again, for a new stadium, and it gets approved. That 
is a whole nother level of stuff beyond what we're talking about on the floor with the salary cap. But I think it's absolutely a factor if this is even a 1% feasible trade working that we're talking about here. The business part of this is huge. And and if Scoot is what a lot of people think he could be, then you're pairing him with Jaden and Ant, and maybe Nas is still there. And, and those guys are entering their primes right when this new stadium bill comes. I mean, that to me is a huge factor in this, a huge factor in, in thinking about it. Now, that doesn't say anything about the feasibility of what Portland thinks or whatever. But as I was just sitting there this morning and putting together an outline for you guys, that came to my mind. And I think whether it's this hypothetical trade or not going forward, I think Timberwolves fans should sort of keep that in their mind that that is a motivation out there for the new ownership group that takes hold of this franchise in about 10 months. And and it would be if it was any other owner too, right? The stadium needs to be, if it was still just Glenn Taylor, it'd be, it'd be the same sort of thing. So I think that's just a factor that we should consider in in all of this because I believe it's a factor that this ownership group will be will be thinking about. Um, I don't know. Jack, I'll go to you if you have any response to that. Mute again, buddy. Rookie move. <laughs> oh, man. Um, yeah, I think the, the biggest thing I know you hate me, this topic, but... <laughs> I, I used to call Dane Doomsday Dane um, like three years ago when this like first got announced because of this. Um, I'll preface it by saying the Timberwolves are not going anywhere. No matter what, they will stay in Minneapolis. I guarantee you that. But um, the biggest thing for me with this And notice, is, I, I didn't say that part of it. I just said the building a new stadium yep. part of it, which yep. is a fact. Yep, for sure. hundred um, percent. And I, I think, you know, for me as a Timberwolves fan, I mean, that's the biggest thing with us at Canis. Like it's a fan perspective blog and it, it gets really frustrating when the team isn't winning and there's like no future, anything that you have to hold on to. They don't have the, they don't have the future flexibility of drafting a player um, you know, in all these years, they have a pick next year, but they won't be able to trade it until draft night. And, and they also too, like, don't have the flexibility to feel like, okay, we're at this point, like we can go trade, you know, uh, like a, a you know, like the equivalent of a Gary Harris in a first round pick for Aaron Gordon, right. that they think can take them up to the next level. So I think that is a hundred percent, a motivating factor for fans in terms of when the team's losing, it's harder for them to turn on the TV and watch the Timberwolves because there is no future really to look forward to outside of Ant and Jaden, um, let alone purchase tickets to go to a game, buy a jersey, um, et cetera, et cetera. And I do think that Q score that you're talking about certainly matters. And that was a huge factor. I think if you ask John or Chris or Britt or uh, Jace, anybody that that was there constantly, like the Timberwolves or, or Kyle too, for sure, with with their pod with Phil, like a hundred percent fans were more ornery and, and more irritated because there were expectations that came along with this team. And albeit it was something out of their control with an injury to Carl Anthony Towns, they did not meet those expectations. And if, if this team bad luck or not continues not to not meet those expectations um, without the, the, Hey, just be patient. You know, we got picks and all this to keep building it moving forward. It's just going to be a tough sell to fans, even if they have all this money, dumped yeah. into the team and it should be good um, because 
you we can talk sit here and talk about team building all day but if the reality is that the team isn't good no matter how they put it together it's going to be tough to get support for that stadium like you're talking about and, I, and I, I personally hadn't considered that at all when we were putting together this article but i do think that it's it's a great point and it and it just factors into the whole like it's going to be harder to, to convince ownership to to just throw another 41 million dollars into the pot when yeah, well right particularly like if you're going to be paying the luxury the tax yeah you're going to want to have a path to save that 750 million dollars or whatever on building a, a new stadium like th- those things tied together because there is a finite amount of money that we don't know yeah. exactly tied to this ownership group but but it's another thing too if if that money that you're committing to luxury tax is replenished by you know, I, I'm not going to sit here and pretend I know how, how much money the Timberwolves are making for each additional playoff game that they'd have, but that's a factor too. You know, like you got to be damn sure that the team's going to be a second round minimum. So you have eight mm-hmm. or whatever it is, uh, four minimum home games in the playoffs. Um, well, the, and they operate as a loss. The finals. They, they operate at a loss year to year. Yeah. Like millions and millions of dollars. And that's made up for in the fact that the valuation of the franchise is going up. But again, when we're talking about like annual accounting and if the Wolves are taking a $28 million loss a year just for the nor- what they paid last year, a normal amount of salary versus revenue in, I mean, they're taking a loss there and it should be made up for with the valuation of the franchise. But again, annually, if that's, all right, we're taking a $30 million loss here. Oh, we got to pay $40 million in luxury tax. Oh, we got to pay that again. I mean, at some point, you're talking about over the course of a decade or even five years, hundreds of millions of dollars in, you know, net revenue loss. When you have then another over billion dollar stadium coming in, I mean, there is just a there is a business element to all of this. And if I could distill it down super simply, having a different type of roster for for attractiveness of the players and for how much the players cost would be a boon in terms of uh, financial feasibility for this franchise, which we've now said like 15 different ways around this. But I, I just wanted to throw that in there at the end. Tyler, I'll uh, thank you for coming. I think you, you've you come on this pod before, so I do so many. I, I know I've talked to you many, many different times, but I don't know if you've come on here before. Uh, why don't you plug uh, what you guys got going uh, at No Ceilings? I subscribed today. Um, you had your Scoot Henderson uh, piece there. Obviously, you write at Canis as well, but uh, what's going on at No Ceilings? Uh, yeah, no ceilings NBA.com. Uh, we publish written work every day, Monday through Friday, uh, 100% free. Uh, we also do no ceilings NBA draft podcast Monday through Friday, also 100% free. Um, just click that subscribe button on both of them. Uh, make sure that you never miss anything. Uh, we just dropped our draft guide today. It's the only thing that you would have to pay for. It's 10 bucks if you can afford it. We'd love the support if you're a draft sicko and what we do it all year long. Um, so once the draft ends, you know, stuff will teeter out a little bit, but we'll be looking at next year's class and FIBA stuff and international stuff. But we have pieces on everyone in this draft class right now. Um, I wrote almost 4,000 words breaking down every aspect of Scoot Henderson's game over there. Um, So yeah, it's awesome stuff and no ceilings NBA um, across all social media. Yeah. And for Wolves fans who are, you know, we got to go a ways down the list to be able to find potential, uh, players that uh, could be drafted with that they have a 53rd pick something like that yeah. um you know no ceilings is a, is another you know resource to use as you start and, to, and we got uh, plenty of words on guys in that range yeah, so yeah we, exactly. we, we got we got top of the class to guys who 
aren't even going to get drafted. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to use that to to start as I start my kind of draft prep here, wolves or otherwise related. I know I'm going to use that as a resource here too. And Jack is a machine over at Canis Hoopus, uh, running running the blog there and churning out not only just wolf stuff but uh, link stuff there too. Jack, you have anything in particular to plug outside of this article? Yeah, um, we're we're really deep in, in link stuff so far. Um, you know, it, ironically, um, we talk about this. It is it is a rebuilding year for the links, um, but uh, you know they've got the number two pick, uh, the number two pick from from this past year's draft, Diamond Miller, who's been um, a ton of fun to watch so far in the first you know handful of games in her rookie rookie year so far. Um, so so myself, Leo. Mitchell um, and our guy Benny Hughes will be be doing a bunch of different um, links content throughout the year, and that's in addition to um, you know the really strong staff that that we've cultivated uh, of wolf, Wolves writers, um, you know Tyler and um, and everybody else that we have over has been uh, a ton of fun to see, and and we'll have a bunch more stuff here as as NBA stuff starts to ramp up more um, into the beginning and middle of June. So it's been, been really rewarding for me to, to see all the growth that we've had with our writers, um, and, and how many people are on our side every day. Um, whether you are, um, writing hate comments in the bottom, whether you are writing comments, um, you know, agreeing with the hate comments or, um, you know, or, or supporting the work that we do, uh, we really appreciate it. And, um, it's been, been a ton of fun and, and appreciate you having us on. Yeah, of course. Uh, you can follow uh, these guys. Uh, Jack on Twitter is at jrborman13, and Tyler's at tmetcalf11, which I think is a way of reminding me that you guys are a lot younger than me because my like screen name back in the day was 89 because that was the year I, I was born in. Um, but you can you could go to my Twitter. I tweeted out the article that we've been referencing here. Uh, their Twitter handles are um, tagged in that as well. So Thank you guys for coming on and spending a lot of time to to dig into this. I think this ended up actually being a really good preview of the uh, of just the Wolves' big picture financial situation, which is real and is going to require some sort of accommodations. Obviously, this is one hypothetical route that uh, Jack and Tyler dug into. Appreciate you guys coming on and doing this, and make sure y'all read that and um, yeah, and and follow them on Twitter as well. I will be back. On Thursday, uh, live at Falling Knife Brewing uh, with Britt to do a little pregame show. Uh, we'll also take probably a lot of Wolves questions uh, with that there as well. So that'll probably come out on, I think, Friday morning. Uh, that'll be the next pod coming up here uh, in your feed. Until then, I'm Dane. He's Jack. He's Tyler. Peace out. How I'm feeling, man, I hope it never stop, yeah. Green it hard so you can find me in the crowd, yeah, yeah. Don't let standards ever, ever bring you down, yeah. Hope you dancing like nobody else around, yeah.